know there's a lot of different ways to look at this. And uh, to be honest, to, to, to look at something and say that we can understand the mind of God is impossible. Um, but I want you to turn in your Bibles to Romans 8.28. I'm going to read this briefly, and then I'm going to let the message tonight explain it. As we kind of do um, like a walk through the Bible of the story of a series of events that happens. And uh, I want to tackle the subject of why, why do bad things happen to good people? The question why. And as I said, there are so many people that ask me this question on a regular basis. And I'm sitting there and I want to give them the answers. And when you're going through a hard time, and I, I could mention over the last probably six months, you guys know as a church that we've really faced a lot of complications or people being faced with uh, pretty se severe situations of test results or coming back and struggling with cancer, struggling with the loss of a loved one. People come to me and just this desperation of Pastor Tony I don't understand and they start rattling off this person was this and they did this and I and th they were so good at this and they made such a difference and they were preaching and they were leading this and I, out of all the people why that person why would God allow that to happen to that person and I can tell you that I can't explain everything because I don't know the mind of God but I can to a certain degree because he's given me the word of God and so when we don't know the mind of God, we can definitely know the word of God, that God lets us have insights to things that go on. And God gave us his word. God gave us two things. First of all, he gave us his words. And through God's word, he gives us promises and facts, things to, for us to stand upon. And when I'm going through a storm, I have to take a verse from the word of God and I have to stand on it. You might, you might not understand what's going on, but we have to cling to the rock, which is Jesus Christ. And the word of God, we have it because the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We can hold to the word of God and his promises. And that doesn't mean that as I'm going through the storm and the things that are happening around me, that I'm going to understand everything about the storm. But I can hold to the truths and the promises of God's word because God never lies and his word is always true. Let me give you one, and I'm, I'm, this is one that's probably been so overused, it, not that you can overuse a verse, but you know what I mean, it's one that's very popular and common, and it says, and we know, in Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good, to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. Now, to be honest, I don't know if I've ever done this before, I'm not going to expound upon that verse but allow the verses that I'm about to read to explain and fill in the blanks. I, I honestly thought as I did that, that, that this verse makes sense as I went through these passages and these studies to kind of fill in and explains itself. But I thought it'd be cool if as a church you learn from this as we study God's word by uh, the word of God itself speaking to you. The second thing that God gave us to understand him is his example of Jesus Christ. See, his life was not about his own life. And I know that sounds funny when we're talking about Jesus, but it wasn't. I, I want you to learn through this message of this, that understanding that Jesus Christ lived his life for the glory of God. You say, he was God. Everything that Jesus did, he said, I'm doing this, I must be about my father's business. That I might glorify my father. He pointed to his father. He gave every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. Everything that he did, he referenced back to the father. Jesus was doing that. What he was doing was he was glorifying 
or making big of his father. He was pointing the attention to his father and all that he did. And I know we're we're preaching on the subject of why do bad things happen to good people, and I'm using Jesus as the example, and I don't want you to take that wrong, of me just throwing Jesus into the category of a good person. He was more than a good person. He was perfect in every way. I don't want to downplay that, but for the sake of this illustration, we would have looked at that as why is this what happened to Jesus Christ happening to such a perfect person? But here's the thing. Jesus recognized that his life was not for himself. He came with a purpose. He was here to glorify his father. He was born to lead people to his father. This was a big picture of why he came. And he emphasized that message in all that he did. It is easier for us to understand this today. Because for us as Christians, we look back at the cross and be able to understand everything worked together for good to glorify the Father back in that passage. Everything from the crowns to the thorns to the scourging to the betrayal. All these things that we're like, wow, why would you do that? And why would he? And everything down to the 30 pieces of silver. All of that worked together for us to have salvation today. The sin, the curse, the betrayal, the backstabbing, everything. And you, Satan's sitting back and going, ha, 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 look at what I'm doing and the control that I have. And God turned around and he said, but you have no idea in my power how I work everything together for good. You say, how can we sit there and talk about the cross and say, amen, praise God, when I'm talking about a torture device? Because we can look back and see from a distance how everything worked together for good. The tragic Horrific events coming together. See, for us, we're, we're in these things. So we can't see the picture like we could back at the cross. We can't understand. We're, we're in the middle of it, like Peter's saying, that they came to arrest Jesus Christ to, to save the world from their sins. He pulls out a sword, cuts off the ear of the ones arresting him and saying, He's a good person, leave him alone. Bad things, hey, bad things should not happen to a good person like this. Crazy. That's why they stood. It didn't make sense. Imagine they're all yelling out, you got the wrong guy. He doesn't deserve this. He's good. He's that. They were fighting back. It was never about what Jesus did that was right and wrong. It's the fact that Jesus was fulfilling the will of the Father. You know what I'm saying? For them, they were trying to figure out the right and wrong, and this doesn't make sense. They were trying to add up the the known details of man's minds, but it didn't make sense. He lived his life to glorify his Father. Everything he did was obeying the Father. He was a gift, a tool, a deliverer, and a messenger of the Father. Now, let me, now we're Christ like, and we live in the example, and he is our example. So let me. Let me pull a verse now to, to combine that with us. It's 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20. And this is what the Bible says. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. See, Jesus did that. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. That's what, what he did. He lived in his body to reflect the glory of the Father. You say, what is your goal? If you're a Christian here, I'm, I'm going to tell you what your job, your existence, the way that you, the reason you wake up, you breathe, you walk, you talk, everything about you is to glorify God. Because you were bought with a price. Not as a slave, but as a son. 
It's not, it's not a matter of now you have to do what I say. You were set free from bondage, not placed into bondage. The world looks at that and says the church is a bunch of do's and don'ts, not understanding that God has saved me from addictions and past and all these other problems. God saved me from that to set me free and made me heirs of God. Not a, it's not an idea of being in slavery. But my mission in life is to live a life of surrender. Because I've been bought with a price. Now, I, I know I'm about to take you to another level. And I, I pray a spiritual level. We're going to go a little deeper. Because for most of us, we sit there and think, well, my life is this. And I'm, I live as a Christian, so I want, I want God to bless me. And I want the hookups. Where in the Bible do you look at everybody that followed Jesus that got hookups? It was, you know, come follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. And two years later, you will have a mansion and a private jet. <laughs> nope. <laughs> follow, follow the example of the ones. And for, for us, and you say, where do we get that? Well, we get that from TV and these preachers that God wants to bless you and open the windows of heaven and give you everything you want. You see, I've got all that. It's just in heaven. It's not here. If you live for the here, you're going to be very disappointed because you're living a lie of all this. Now, don't get me wrong. God is a God of blessings, and God is a God of good, and God does take care of his own, and he does own the cattle on a thousand hills, and he is, does open the windows of heaven, and he does bless, and he does, he does, he does. But not this health, wealth, and prosperity that a lot of people try to do of just the hookups from God. You were bought with a price, therefore glorify God. Let me explain that word. The word glorify means, and I'll give you the most simplistic of the definition. There's a bunch of words, and I'm going to give you the most simplistic one. It means to magnify God. It means to make God known. To make God seen. To draw attention to God. To lift him up. To place God in the center of attention. You say is for a Christian, why do you get up this morning and talking about uh, dressing modest and all that? Because your body does not belong to you. It belongs to God. And therefore you glorify God, which means you don't draw attention to your body. We're not trying to draw attention to self. Your body, your attitude, your life should reflect Jesus Christ. Not that you walk around hum, hum, you know, and humming and reading verses and being a drone or all these other things that we try to think. It's not about that, but the spirit of God, the love of God, the joy of God. When we have that attitude of drawing the attention to ourselves, we're not glorifying God, we're glorifying ourselves, and Satan loves that. My life ought to be like Christ, to make good, to make big, to make known, to point to my Father and all that I do. Allow me to bring you back to the example of Jesus Christ. The Bible says he was led as a lamb to the slaughter, yet he opened up not his mouth. He never lifted up himself. Have you ever noticed that in Scripture? He never was there to lift up himself. The Bible says he didn't have a place to lay his head. The Bible says a lot of times he didn't go in and announce himself, hey, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and come in being carried around. No, he came as a humble servant. You talk about a difference. And here, he never lifted up himself, but in all that he did, he still gave glory to his Father. Now you say, you keep saying that. I'm, I'm going to keep saying that because I'm going to prove something through all this. You see, for what happened, if we were to lay this out, and I was to tell you a modern day story of this, we would sit back and say, what a tragedy. What happened to Jesus? They crucified an innocent man. 
He was a good person. On that day, let me remind you that there was two thieves on the cross. One recognized him as God, and that guy was saved through the blood of Jesus Christ that was being shed before his eyes. On that same day, on Mark chapter 15, verse 39, when the centurion, which stood over against him, saw that he still cried out and he gave up the ghost and he said, truly, this man was the son of God. You say, what happened? He accomplished his goal. He came to make known his father, to point to the father and all that he did. He opened not his mouth. He lived his life with the goal and the desire to make big of God. And on that day when he died, the centurion that commanded to nail him to the cross stood back and said, truly, he was the son of God. You say, explain that. God was glorified through a tragedy. It's going to take time for that to sink in. And I told you, we're not always going to understand. And if you want me to sit down and say, add it up and things like that, you say, well, I get that with Jesus Christ, but I don't get that today. Let me keep going. You see, everything, everything, everything on that day worked together for our good. Later, there was a man in Acts chapter 7, and you can turn there, Acts chapter 7. There was a man named Stephen. He was a deacon. He was one of the first deacons. Not a deacon to split the church or vote the preacher out. He was a deacon that came in to be a leader, a servant, an evangelist. He was making a huge impact. Can I emphasize that? Stephen was making a huge impact for the glory of God. He was a young man that I, I guarantee when they commissioned, they stood back and said, one day that, that young man's going to be something. That young man is going to shake this world. That young man has it together. That man is different. He, he, he excelled above, uh, above the rest. And I'll prove it. Even in his story, they, they look back at him and talk about the difference, even in the end of Acts, about naming Stephen of his life and testimony. He did such a good God job that he made the devil so mad that they wanted to kill him. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why would God allow this? And they cast him, verse 58. They cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and he cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. When he had said this, he fell asleep. He passed on. Does this sound familiar? I mean, honestly, think, think about this. Does this sound familiar? Calling upon God. My God, my God. Does this sound familiar? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Does this sound familiar? Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. See, Stephen didn't live for himself. He lived for the glory of God. Through even his death, even his tragedy, my life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. Therefore, I will glorify. I will make God known through my body, through my lips, through my life, or through my death. I will make big of Jesus. What was his mission? What was his life about? What did he live for? We can say all day long, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. 
But do we really mean that? Do we literally mean that for me to live every single day that I want to make big of my God? In every aspect of whatever it takes, and trust me, when you make that your goal, you're going to aggravate the devil. You're going to get the focus on you. You're going to get the attention on you. His life was that God would be glorified, that God would be seen in a big way, that God would use him for others to come to know Christ. You guys get that? You're going to say the mission of his life was God glorified through this. Now we're going to step back and go, what a shame. To be honest, there was probably people there was, as Stephen is crying out and everything and just go, I just, I just don't understand a God that would let this happen. I'm serious. I would. I, I probably would be one of those guys. Man, this just doesn't make sense. He's, he's the most outspoken. He's bold. He's, he's, he has conviction with what he does. I wanted my son to grow up like him. I was hoping he'd be our pastor one day. I was, I was up. This doesn't make sense to me. When it is, I would go as far as to say, this is unfair. I, I don't get this. In my flesh, that is how I would look at this. Why God? This man was serving you. Lord, look at how many people are coming in to know Christ as a result of them. God, look at the impact. God, he loved you. Where is God in all this? A loving God that cares about people? God, he was going to reach hundreds for your honor and glory. Now look it. And God replies and said, he gave his life to me. In a sinful world, we're, we're, we're surrounded by sin and the curse. See, in this story, bad things happen to a good person. Do you guys get that? A very bad thing happened to a very, very good person. But the very, very good person lived his life to glorify God. See, this story had bad things happen, but it's, it's not. Because God worked all things together for his good. You know why? Because Stephen loved God and Stephen was called according to his purpose. Did it make sense at this point? Actually, it looked like a defeat. It looked like God had let them down. Can I, can I throw out another statement as I'm talking about God and what we can stand on? God makes no mistakes. Even when it doesn't make sense to us. It reminds me of being a loving father that I would give my life for my children. I would lay down my life for my children. And I will take them to the doctor and I will sit them down and I will pull out money and I will give it to that doctor and I will roll up their sleeve and I will give my kids the biggest bear hug they've ever had so that the doctor can stick them in the arm. <laughs> you say, my kid's looking at, dad, you hate me and dad, dad, dad. And you have to say, son, all this is going to work together for your good. Because daddy loves you. You see, in our minds, when we're in the middle of all these things, they just don't make sense. Even trials and tribulation that God allows to happen do not add up in our minds. And it doesn't make sense. You see, God was at work through all of this. God was being magnified through Stephen in the midst of a bunch of sinners doing rotten things to a good person. God still stepped in and said, watch, watch what I do. Flip forward to Acts chapter 11, verse 19. You see, the unseen hand of God. You've got to trust in the unseen hand of God. 
that when you're in your house and you're saying, God, what good could come to this? When we're standing at a casket, where we're in the hospital reading a report, when we're this or that, and everything seems to be falling apart, we don't get it. The unseen hand of God is at work behind the scenes, working in ways that you don't understand. You know why? Because you serve a big God that goes beyond your eyesight. You have no idea through the trial that you have of not being able to make rent, or you lose your job all of a sudden, or your house gets yanked out from underneath you, or your son gets sick, or you're in the hospital. You have no idea how many people are standing there going, wow, look what God is doing. You can't see it, but God's working behind the scenes because God works everything together for his good. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, traveling as far as Venus and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word of God, none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they came to Antioch, they spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. Listen to this. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and great number believed and turned unto the Lord. A great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Let me ask you, how did all that happen? They begin to be scattered all over. Something began to well up in their hearts. They began preaching. Revivals broke out. Great numbers, multiple places, unreached regions, people that Stephen would have never seen, never met, never heard, never spoke their language. You know what happened? One man began to say to another, I saw a man that gave his life for God. You want to believe the testimonies? He cried out, Father, forgive them as they stoned him. You're kidding me. I, I, I told that testimony in my church. You're kidding. That man went out. That man went out. That man went out. The Bible says, now they were scattered abroad upon the persecution that rose about Stephen. See the devil turn around and he said, man, there's a fire going on. I'm going to stomp out that fire. There's no way I want that gospel. See what I did to your Stephen? By trying to stomp out a fire, he started a forest fire. Amen. You see, the, the, all these people that are sitting there, oh my goodness, this, this is so unfair. God, he, he gave his life that the souls would be saved. He gave his life that you would be magnified in a big way. He was bought with a price, God, you don't understand There's hundreds that could have been saved through his life. And God says, yeah, I know. He gave his life to me. And now there's thousands being saved for the glory of God. Now there's lights being turned upside down all over. And the testimony of Stephen was being shot out everywhere. The name Stephen became a household name. That martyr. What love is this? I heard it of Jesus. And now I've seen it in people that follow. What love is this? What passion? What conviction? How amazing. You say, Mom, that's, that's awesome. We haven't even scratched the surface. See, see, things were happening around the nation. And God was answering the question, why would you allow this to happen to such a good person? Let me look back at the tragedy. Acts chapter 7, verse 58. And cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was... Saul, Saul, hardcore man standing off to the side, arms sitting there, nothing bothers me, nothing affects me, kill him, let him go. I want to prove to these Christians that their day is done, tired of it. I'm going, to put, I'm going to lay down the law and make you an example is what he was doing. Unreachable, hard, 
But let me tell you, when God's people are allowing the Spirit of God to work through them, you have no idea what God does through your life. The hardest of hearts, the most wicked of people, the most vile of people, when the Spirit of God is working through people's lives. See, after this, you guys know that Paul accepted the Lord is a personal Savior. And you say, well, now you're trying to tie it into that Stephen had something to do with that. I'll get back to that. Don't give up on that part. What does it take to reach a hard-hearted man? And I tell you, there's some things in this life that we'll just never understand how some people, that they're just so hard. And God says, I have ways to reach anybody. See, Paul accepted Christ right after this. And Paul was one of the greatest evangelists that he ever lived because he got it. His life belonged to God. He was alive to give glory to God. Let me prove it. Philippians chapter 1 verse 20 and I'll read it and put it on the screen. According to my earnest expectation, this is Paul after he was saved, after he was influenced by Stephen and keep going. My earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I should be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ may be magnified in my body, whether it be by my life or by death. He said, my life mission, no matter what it takes, that God would be glorified. He said, well, where's that verse come in that you keep quoting? Verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, Paul got the big, big picture. See, man, this is radical. No, it was the fact that Paul lived in light of eternity. Do you know why we're so consumed with every day? We hang on to all these things and we're trying to, we're making kingdoms here on earth. We're living every day for the now and now, not understanding that everything that God did, every aspect of it, every detail of this, everything that he did was to magnify God and make God big. And he was doing it in the light of eternity through everything. Through trials, God is being glorified. But so many of us, we fall apart when we don't live right, when we don't understand, when things don't make sense. We're not above these things. I'm going to tell you right now, bad things happen to good people because good people live in a bad world. And God takes all those bad things and he works them together for good. It's not that he's working through us because he's picking on us or not because we did something wrong. As a result of Paul's life, he had three missionary journeys. Churches were planted from country to country. Countless souls were saved. Missionaries and preachers were brought up like Timothy and the other men over and over again. We received, a, we received about half of the New Testament came as a result of the passion, teaching, and love that he had for God. In 2014, I am still preaching the result of a man named Saul giving his life to God and willing to buy his life or his death. And that came as a result of a man named Stephen that said, God, if you would have let him live, he could have reached hundreds. Today, it's multiplied millions to your account. I have that. This was an illustration that I'm stealing from Brother Tyler that he preached forever ago. Months ago. It's eternity. You got to help me. <laughs> he got up and he was talking about this and he said, Imagine the tape on this being your life. I'm saying your whole life. You lived, you married. You grew, you did all those things, bought houses, everything is represented in that aspect. 
a lot of us live our lives like that is everything. But the truth of the matter is God said there is eternity. We were made in the likeness of God. He breathed into our nostrils the breath of life. God is eternal. We are made in the image of God. Our souls became living. You will live forever somewhere. And we live that life like that. You say, what was the difference of these men that glorified God no matter what it took? They lived their life understanding that there was eternity. And every day you're saying for, for, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and life goes on. And trust me, in order to truly give this illustration, this rope would have to be to infinity. There is no end. And Paul and all of those guys were saying, I'm not going to live my life like this is everything. I want to live my life like I understand that. Later on, Paul is giving a testimony at the end of, his, uh, at the end of Acts. You say, did that even have an impact on him? Did it even matter? You're saying Stephen and all these things and the countless thousands that were multiplied through him sitting there saying, my life is for you. In Acts chapter 22, verse 20, He's giving this testimony and he says, And when the blood of the martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and I kept the raiment of them that slew him. You say, did it matter? It was just another guy. No, when he said in their testimony, he said, Hey, I was there. I watched him. I remember, I remember him crying out. That had an impact on my life. All those chapters later at the end of Acts, it mattered. It impacted people. And they're standing there in the middle of that saying, it just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. God, why, why, why? And God says, you know why? Because they see and I see the light of eternity. And the fact that he gave his life to do great things. God turned Stephen's life from reaching hundreds to literally millions. I mean, literally the impact that he had. And I think about the most recent life of Paul Fairchild. I visited him quite often during that time, and he told me, he said, through, through the, 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 the fall of his health one after another, and he's sitting there and he says, and I had some heart to heart because I could. Not many people uh, that you can get in and talk about death to somebody that's dying. He tell me every time, I, I might not see you again, so let me have prayer with you, Pastor Tony. I'm like, man, it's just like, he was living in light of eternity. And this is what he said. He said, you know what? He said, I, I said, how are you able to do this? I had these conversations with a dying man that I was close friends with. And he said, Tony, you know what? My life is not mine. I, I have told God that I want to reach as many people as I could. But he said, you know what? I've realized that there's some people I can't reach. He said, I, I'm just being honest. There's some people that I, I have just tried. I can't get their attention. I can't get their focus. I, I, my, he talked about different family members specifically that he said. He said, you know what I told God? Through my cancer, I'm praying that people come to know Jesus. And they're going to come to church to look at my body. When they do, I want you to stand over my body and preach the gospel. And I preached from the bottom of my heart the message that he wanted me to preach. And at the end of it, 12 people raised their hand to come to know Jesus Christ. See, Paul said, Paul Fairchild was like, you know what, God, you can have this. Let me see 12 of them end up in here. See, it's just the bigger picture of bringing glory to God and living your life out for God. I, I, I was amazed by listening to Fawn 
And she's dealing with her cancer right now and going through the treatments and the questions of why, why, why? Why do bad things happen to good people? Fawn loves the Lord. She's called according to his purpose. I tell you, I hate cancer and I hate everything about it. But at her prayer service, I'm looking up there and there's hundreds of people that came together. And those hundreds of people through that tragic event, through something bad in a good person's life... All these people are coming together and they're praying in one accord and they're crying out to God. And in one accord, they're, they're pleading and saying, Lord, we come together, we unite, we pray, we seek, we glorify, we, 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 all these things. You know what I've thought about that? When we turn around and say, God, why do you allow bad things to happen to good people? I think God turns around and says, why does it take something bad for you to look at me? Why does it take a tragedy of 9-11 for them to finally gather on the steps of the White House to pray? Why, why does it take your son to get sick? Why does it take a bad report? Why is that? Because your whole life is to be pointed to me. Every aspect of your life is to be exalting me. Why does it take that? But I'm telling you, God says, but when these things come into your life, I'm going to use them for my good. I'm going to let people see me. And people one after another exalting and praying and praising God and centered on that. It wasn't me, but somebody else had the conversation with Fawn. And Fawn said, you know what? I said, I don't know why I have cancer. But she said, I'm praying that God does great things through this. And she said, you know what? I've got lost loved ones and nothing that I have ever done. And she said, I prayed God whatever it takes. Because I'd rather live a shorter life here than to live forever without them. You want me to explain that? I can't. Okay? I can't. But I can throw out another verse to you that the Bible says that there's a peace that passes all understanding. I can't understand how I can sit with Mrs. Denoff as, as, as we're standing outside of Pastor Denoff passing away and, and for Mrs. Denoff to sit there and say, I know where my husband is. And I know the life that he lived. And I know that's not my husband. And I know and I know and I know. And you say, that doesn't make sense. There's a peace that passes all understanding. There is. And for some of you sitting right there, right now you're going, I, oh, no way. All oh, this is crazy. Whatever. I'm telling you, you're missing the peace that passes all understanding. And this world is going to be filled with trials and tribulations. And you're saying, man, I just thought if people were following God, that God's going to bless them and keep them from harm and all this. You know what would happen in a real world that happened? If God just turned around and said, I'm going to take all my children and protect them from anything bad. People would flock to God for what they would get out of it, not the relationship that God desires. They would want in it for the hookup, not for the relationship and the freedom of sin that he came to give us. My dad, the other day, he was asking me, he said, we, we were talking, I was telling dad about Fawn, what's going on. He asked me what was on my heart, and I told him. And he said, in my dad, I, I love my dad, but he, he asked me that question. He said, have you ever wondered why all these people can live their life however they want? They live it up, and they booze it up, and they drug it up, and they do all this, and nothing happens to a lot of them, and they live it up, and yet somebody over here is given their life, and that's the one who gets the cancer? I said, Dad, you know I've thought about that. And I'm going to give you something that God gave me. That God gave me insights of this that I just, just kind of blew me away. And that is God's mercy is amazing. Here it says in Ephesians 2, 4. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherein he loved us. 
even when we were dead in our sins, hath he quickened us together by grace that you saved. You see, when we were dead in our sins, God loved us so much that he withheld. That's what mercy is. Mercy is, is withholding punishment that is deserved. It's not grace. It's, it, grace goes beyond that. But mercy is withholding punishment that is deserved. And that thought of simply this, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And God might allow something to enter into a godly Stephen or Fawn or Pastor Denoff or Paul Fairchild or Lisa Stewart's life that I'm not going to get. But God said, I'm going to get the glory and I'm going to point people to you. In light of eternity, I want to do something great. And over here, to that person you think doesn't deserve it, I'm going to withhold maybe something that you deserve because every day they're alive is a day that they can come to know me. God withholds punishment that is deserved because his mercy is amazing. It might not make sense to you, but God, you turn around and God says, why didn't you allow that? And God says, because they don't know me yet. And if I allow that, I know what, where they're going. So every day that I withhold and I, 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 I give them mercy is one more day for you to tell them and one more day for you to preach and one more day for you to share and one more day for you to give. That's where these come in. The Paul Fairchilds and those that said, no matter what, may God be glorified. You're saying, Lord, help me reach the hundreds. I give my life as a vessel no matter what it takes. And God says, man, I can take your life like Stephen and reach millions. Let me give you just one last thought. The idea that because you're saved, you're not going to go through trials and tribulations is not true. David said something in Scripture that just is something you need to hold on to. It is, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that is bad things happening to good people. <laughs> the valley of the shadow of death. When the world is coming in around you, when you feel like there's no hope, when you're scared to death, though I walk through, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me in the midst of my tragedy or my trial. I'm not going to tell you that you'll never face anything, and I'm telling you that there's things going to come into our life. I'm just wondering... If you're going to grasp that God is able to make all things work together for good to them that are the called according to his purpose.